best friend for freaking life. Yes. yes, we're not just regular besties. No, we're best friends for freaking life. Yeah, yes. like Malika is that friend that even if we don't speak for a year, we're cool. Yeah, and like I don't feel like I can ever say anything to irritate you. I think it's that. Th- <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's the thing that I most value about our friendship. I really have no fear of offending you. Mm-hmm. Shut whatever shit to you. You can just take it. <laughs> No, it's not that. It's just that we get ourselves and we, we understand ourselves. ourselves and we forgive ourselves. We like, do. And I think that's like huge because one of the like things I love, about you're so quick to forgive. You're like, this is where you fucked up. <laughs> I mean, I will tell you how yes, you fucked up. How, this is where and how you fucked up. You can apologize now. <laughs> and yes, I forgive you. And then we move on. Yeah. But other people, I'm like, yeah, the coffin was already ready. <laughs> Chalet. Chalet. And the coffin was a vehicle. And you put the nail in it. <laughs> yeah. No, so like I really, really value our friendship. And I am so excited that we are doing a podcast yes. together. Hey, good people! Welcome to the Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women, the podcast. My name is Malika Grant. And I'm Nanada Kwasichema. So, Nanada Kwasichema and I have been friends since 1994, where we met in boarding school in Ghana. After graduation, we both moved to different parts of the world, but stayed connected by letters and the occasional long-distance phone call. We shared everything. Life was happening, and through distance and time, we always held on to each other. And then, in 2009, I had gotten married, you had gotten married and divorced. We were living life. And so you went away to a beach trip and you were having fabulous conversations with your friends at that beach trip about sex. And at the same time, I was having conversations with my grandmother because I wanted to know who she was as a woman, like someone outside of the title, grandma. And, you know, what better way to find out about a woman than what kind of sex she was having? (laughs) So I asked my grandmother and she was just very liberal about it, which is, I think, atypical of Ghanaian grandmothers. And so she was telling me about, you know, her sex life with my grandfather. And now they're both deceased. And so you were like, okay. I've been having these conversations and I'm going to do a blog. But like in 2009, when we started blogging, we said, we never had anybody Mm -hmm. tell us really anything useful about sex Mm -hmm. growing up, right? I feel like there was a lot of scaremongering. With my mom, for example, bless her. (laughs) Bless her. I love Love that woman. Yeah, we love (laughs) you. But I don't feel like I got any sort of useful information about sex yeah for folks who are from ghana they may remember a show called osofodazi for people outside of ghana these were like weekly soups you know and osofodazi the protagonist was a pastor and I felt like what would happen almost every time was that there'll be a young girl who would fall pregnant mm-hmm. and then her boyfriend would leave her, her family would throw her out of her house and her life would just end in misery. Mm-hmm. And my mom would always be like, look, <laughs> you see what happens when you mess around with boys? So I was so scared of messing around with boys and I don't think I even fully knew 
what or messing around meant. Yeah, it's yes. like, what does that mean exactly? Right. You know, nobody ever sort of sat me down and said, this is what it means. And then I also got my period very early. I was in boarding school. And I also knew that once you had your period, you could fall pregnant. So I knew that connection. At least you had that information. I didn't even know that. What did they tell you? They told me nothing. Like, my mom was like a virginity... What's what's a bird of prey? Condor. She would, like, circle and just like, are you still a virgin? I Like, she was obsessed with virginity. And I just got my period. I'm like, I'm bleeding. And she's like, okay, here's a tampon. Oh, it was really traumatic. I don't know if I ever told you this story about my mom and the tampon. And I'm, you know, I'm okay with the world knowing. It's okay. I was like, I'm bleeding. I don't know what's happening. And she was like, oh, okay, lay down. I'll show you how to manage it. And she takes this tampon and tries to push it inside of me. No. Yes. And I think I got my period at 10, if I'm not mistaken. And I was like, this really hurts. This cannot be right. But she was hawkish about virginity. If I got sick, it's because you were pregnant. If I gained weight, are you pregnant? She was just obsessed. And I'm like, I don't even know how one gets pregnant. So at Sorry, least you... I'm still stuck on your mom. Pushing yeah. a tampon into yes, you when in you my 10-year-old your... body. Oh, God. And you're not even, like, bleeding for real, for real when you no. first get it, right? It's like a little trickle. It's like, hey, girl, I'm here. And for somebody who was obsessed with virginity to do that, like, she probably took your virginity with a tampon. She probably took my virginity with a tampon. So if anybody asks who took my virginity, <laughs> it's my, my mother. Mom. <laughs> <No>. We're <laughs> laughing, but it's actually, like, quite serious, yeah, isn't it? it is. It is. I'm but sorry. I feel I'm like... sorry for 10-year-old mother. Thank you. I'm sorry for her. Ter- but she's okay. She's 44 now. She's made it, you know. Yes, it's all right. But at least kudos to auntie for telling you that you can't get pregnant. This signifies, you know, a shift in your no, life. No, but I knew I could get pregnant. So I got my period. Then like maybe a few months later, I wasn't getting my period. And <laughs> I was so scared. I'm so sorry. I mean, mind you, I was in a single sex board in school. Right. And I was really scared. I thought I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I would go to the convent every day and pray for my period to come. Oh, no. No, but we don't pray for periods to come more. <laughs> no, we pray for periods to come. It's always kind of scary when your period hasn't come. And that, I think, was also part of what motivated us to do this Absolutely. blog. You know, and, yeah. and now to do this podcast, we want people to just have real knowledge about sex. Yes. I particularly don't want people to think of sex as something that also necessarily results in mm. pregnancy. Because, you know, that connection is not automatic. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. And it shouldn't be. (laughs) And I'm speaking of somebody who's birthed four people. I'm like, it's not every time I have sex that it, you know. Exactly. Sometimes I just want to enjoy the person I'm with. You know? Like, I I have progenited. (laughs) (laughs) In one of our future episodes that people are going to hear, we have the incredible writer, poet, producer, Nyayikwe Parks. Yes. Describe sex as... That is how adults play. How adults play. I loved that, you know, because I think that's how we should think of sex. Yes. As play for adults. Mm -hmm. And when you think of play, like, you get to choose who you can play with. Yeah. You get to choose what games you play, Mm -hmm. you know... Like, if you played in the playground, maybe the playground is on grass, so it's soft and secure. So if you fall, you don't hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't want to think of sex as something that one does to procreate. Yeah. You know what's great about the playground is where you work things out. Do you remember, like, remember mm. going to the playgrounds like with your friends? Like, okay, this is where we need to talk about whatever happened. And yeah, you could do that during sex. It was like, do you remember when you... <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, I think that metaphor works. Yeah. yeah. No, I love it. So, you know, we've talked extensively about all the knowledge or lack of knowledge we received around sex. And our similarities and our parallels are just amazing. So you're a mom. I'm a mom. It's just funny how but we yeah, do things. Yeah, way more of a mom than I am. I'm just more of a mom because of, <laughs> like, quantity. You have Not more momming experience than I will ever have in my life. more mature momming experience because I feel like our first baby together outside mm. of the blog was... My daughter, Naja. And I don't think you should call Naja your daughter. You should say, Naja, your goddaughter. Because uh -uh. I am her godmother. Like You can call super... her goddaughter. She but is a... my daughter. But you give birth to her for me. We all agree <laughs> that Naja is really just your child. my child. She yes. really is. She Naja, really has I love you, baby. To... Yeah, she does love you. You have no idea. But like, you know, because of that dynamic between the two of you, and because of the work that we've done, it's so much easier for me to talk about sex with her and to her. And she's very aware of her sexuality and what her preferences might be and even being open to question. And that's never something that, you know, at least for me, I was even open to consider question or whatever. It was never a question that I would get married and have children and become a grandmother and die. <laughs> As we've said, one of the reasons for starting this podcast is to be a resource for younger women who might need a little auntie advice or even some big auntie advice. So, Nana called up her beloved goddaughter, my daughter Naja, to find out more about how a 16-year-old is experiencing love and dating. Well, I won't lie, it's a very confusing time, but not in the sense of confusion, more like it's... It's irritating to be in love, not even in love, but liking someone. Because for me in particular, I live in a relatively small area and I go to a very small school. So chances are, if you have a crush on someone, your friend might have a crush on them as well. I'm curious, like, have you had any relationships at all before? Um, have you ever dated anybody? Unfortunately not. I got married when I was in kindergarten on the playground, but I'm not <laughs> Tell me about being married in kindergarten on the playground. Do you uh, remember? It was great. I got married to a boy. We were good friends. It was under the slides. We had a wood chip wedding. They uh, threw wood chips at us. And it was painful, but it was fun. And we held hands. And then we forgot about it less than a week later. <laughs> That's like such a cute memory. And why do you think you haven't ever dated anybody? I would say between my overall personality and the people I just so happen to surround myself, it's a bit of a clash between those two things. Um, and I don't think I fit the type of many of the people around me. Did you say you're gay? <laughs> uh, I'm bi, but I've been trying to convince myself that I'm either straight or a lesbian. And I'm just kind of accepting that I'm in the middle at this point. Why have you been trying to convince yourself? Like, why do you feel like you have to be one or the other? An odd insecurity I have where I feel like I need to just be one or the other. Because I was explaining to someone where I was and they were like, oh, so you're straight or, oh, you're a lesbian or like you can't choose one. And that kind of made me just like, it made something click inside of me. And I was just wondering if it was 
correct, if that's the right word, or if I was just being indecisive. You don't have to choose anything. I'm also bi. I identify as bi. You don't have to choose to be straight or gay. And this is me speaking as your godmother. You know, um, I think it's a great position to be in, you know? It's almost like getting the best of both worlds. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to date someone in an ideal world? Yes, I would, actually. Um, The idea of dating is very appealing to me, I'm not going to lie. The cuddling and the, the kisses on the forehead and piggyback rides through the sunset on a beautiful Sunday afternoon after you just had a wonderful picnic on the beach. That actually sounds amazing. That sounds like something straight out of a rom-com. What makes you think that's like what dating is like? Ah, well, I know that's not what dating is like, but in an ideal world, like you said, (laughs) that's what I perceive it as. I grew up on Disney films, so I assumed that by 16, I would have a boyfriend and an arch enemy and a talking dog to help me through it all. Unfortunately, I live in 2021 in South Mm. Africa. (laughs) How does it feel like not to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend for that matter? I think... Honestly, I'm surviving. Like, I'm breathing, so I'm fine. But it's, I think, my thing is, I just want to feel cared for by someone outside of my family. Like, out of, outside of obligation, I assume, I guess. It's a nice feeling being cared for, honestly, you know? It's just, it's heartwarming knowing that someone likes you outside of having to like you. It's flattering. <laughs> I really admire Najan, and in general, I really admire what I see as a current generation of young women who are way more knowledgeable than you or I were growing up, are more confident, are figuring out what their sexuality is, because definitely at 16, I didn't even know what sexuality was. Right. Right. I went to university when I was 19, and I started reading feminist books, and I started to understand sexuality, and then I was reflecting back on my own experiences in boarding school. And then I was like, oh, so what I did with girls in boarding school, was that sex? What does that mean? You know, so does that mean I'm not a virgin? Because for me, sex was something women only did with boys. Yes. I never thought what I did with other girls was sex. I didn't even think about it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's incredible to me that someone who has not actually had sex understood her sexuality in ways that... Gosh, it took me until I was 30. To figure out. (laughs) And not even 30 exactly, like in my 30s (laughs) to figure out. Talk about being a late bloomer. Oh my God. You were always blooming late. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? I've been blooming right on time. You've been blooming right on time and you've made up for lost time. I'm like, you are a whole orchard. I'm like, ooh. Tell me about your feminist journey. No, I don't like that question. You don't like that question? Why don't you like that question? God, such a boring question. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> do you remember our first argument about feminism? It wasn't even like an argument. It was like a tiff. And you had like come out to me as a feminist. <laughs> and, you know, you were you know talking to me about feminism. I was like... <laughs> I was like, that's just something white women created. You know, blah, blah, blah. Because that was like, in my context, something that white women created. And it's like all the things they were fighting for was like all the stuff that black women had to do to survive anyway for hundreds of years. And you were like, this has nothing to do with white women. 
shut up. You didn't say shut up, but eventually you like shut it down. I was like, okay, she's a feminist. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can, I, you know, I understand because the reality is there was such a thing known as white feminism, mm-hmm. which doesn't consider how race, class, disability, you know, and everything else affects how you experience your gender. So, yeah, that historical critique of white feminism is real and it's valid. Um, and a lot of black feminists have, I mean, it's because of black feminists that I consider myself to be a feminist, right? So I started identifying as a feminist when I was 19 years old. I'd moved to the UK and Bell Hooks particularly had a huge impact on me. You know, I was also in the UK as a black African girl. I was born in the UK, but I hadn't grown up there. I hadn't lived there. I was aware of my race for the very first time, which I know speaks to the privilege that I had in Ghana, right? But it was suddenly like I had gone from being upper middle class, like my mom had (laughs) once described us, (laughs) to being subclass. Right. And so I just didn't know how to understand the world and Bell Hooks. (laughs) Helped me understand the world. Yeah. And when she explained what feminism was from like a black feminist lens, I understood how I as a young girl had resisted my mom saying, come and help me in the kitchen. One day you're going to make some other woman cast me out. Mm. And, you know, all of these things I hadn't wanted to do because they were stereotypically gendered. Mm -hmm. I now understood that in a sense I was trying to resist being socialized as a girl. Right. And so it sort of made me realize, oh, I'd always been a feminist. I just did not have the language for it. But of course, I became even more feminist. And you know, when you figure it out or you sort of get introduced to it, you're just a little bit militant. Yeah, so Mm. when I was 19, I was. it wasn't just you. I was fighting with everybody Everybody. about feminism. Now, Paul, you say something, I will just ignore you (laughs) because I don't have that time and energy I know who I am and I'm confident in who I am but you have come a long way in your feminist journey you did not identify as a feminist and now look at you really I will not because I'll tell you why I don't but you do very feminist work I do very feminist work but I I feel like I haven't earned the title what I know so you went to school you have a master's degree in feminism right in gender and development feminism You know, people are like, my favorite bell hooks quote is, and I'm like, I have I've read, you know, like the little memes. Yeah, the memes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I don't feel like I've earned the title feminist. I know I do the work and I support the cause. And I'm like, but I cannot give myself that. You, I don't, just, I you don't need a degree. I don't care you what don't you need say. to read X number of bell hooks. You will books not be, to be able to feminist. convince me in this short time. I'm, I'm of, not trying to convince you. Mm. I have stopped convincing people. Listen, convince the listeners. Please tell them for those who are struggling like me. Yeah, <laughs> I think for me, what feminism is, is first of all, recognizing that we live in a world that in general places men in positions of authority over women and props up a system where some people are marginalized. And it is unfair. And as a feminist, what you're trying to do is change that system. It can be in a small way. It can be in a big way. But that's the key thing. First of all, recognize this unfair system exists and that you do something to try and change that system. And how did that then relate to sex? I mean, if I wasn't a feminist, I wouldn't do the work that I do today, right? Part of what I recognized once we started blogging about sex was how incredibly political it was. You know, we have states, governments constantly trying to legislate who we have sex with, when we have sex. How we have sex. How we have sex. 
it's an incredibly political work. And if I wasn't a feminist, I wouldn't do it. For me, this is part of the change that I want to see in the world. I want women to experience pleasure in their bodies and, you know, to have more and better orgasms. Mm. Well, incidentally, you wrote a whole ass book about <laughs> sex. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Which is, it's a bestseller, right? It's so funny because so many people are like, it's a bestseller. No, really. But everybody's reading it. And I'm like, so that's why I know the bestseller list is like, it's Yawa. Like, yeah, it ain't for real because everybody's reading it. So why did you choose to write this book? Because of all of the work we've been doing on the blog, because there were so many incredible stories I knew existed mm -hmm. about African women's experiences of sex and sexuality, I kind of wanted to know more. And so I thought, why don't I just interview a whole bunch of African women from across the continent and then ask them all the questions I want to ask them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so the book was really just me being nosy, wanting to get into people's business. Um, but no, I also wanted to show what I knew to be true about African women's sexuality, that it was varied, it was complicated, it was interesting, it was full of pleasure. And we weren't just what the Western media tends to portray as, as yeah. you know, as victims of polygamy or women who have experienced female genital mutilation and don't right. have any pleasure in their lives or people who are just passive. Yeah. I, I knew that we're so much more. We're vibrant. We have agency. We're navigating different types of relationship structures. And I think people really get that when they read the book, the full breadth of our stories. They're stories of pleasure and they're also stories of pain. But I think it's a more complete picture than we have traditionally seen in the world. Yeah. And that's why it's so important. It's a very important book to have in the world. Thank you. So one of the things like people often ask me, even with my book, is... What kind of backlash do you experience? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know about you, Malaika. I personally haven't experienced backlash from doing this blog and no. even now from my book. I feel like if anything, I have got a lot of positive reinforcements yeah. out of doing this. You know, I've had so many young women in different countries around the world come up to me and say, you have no idea how much this blog meant to me. Mm. I've even had a young married couple tell me how they got married. Both of them were virgins and they read the blog together. <laughs> and literally it allowed them to have a conversation they wouldn't otherwise have been able to have. I have been invited to festivals around the world mm -hmm. to speak. Yes, you and I were investing our own money and nobody was paying us to do this. But I feel like for me, the benefits have been so much more, especially people saying how much this blog has meant to their life. I mean, recently we're in a much better place. Yes, we are. And now we have this whole ecosystem mm -hmm. of people around not just the blog, but the podcast and the festival. Yeah. And everybody started as a fan. Yeah. So for me... No backlash. Yeah. It's actually just been positivity. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons that I was, like, in the shadows is because of my religious life, like, my mm. church life. Because being in a church environment like that and writing like this. And what was weird is that people eventually found the blog from my church. <laughs> <laughs> How did they react? They were like, oh, girl, I see some of the stuff you write. And, like, it was very positive. Mm. I think that was one of the reasons I was able to go from my pseudonym, Abana, to using my name. And then one of the things I was able to do, and I don't talk about this much, but 
I have seven books. <laughs> and Please talk about it because some of your books started out as a series on the blog. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. Two of those books started out as a series on the blog and it's called The Daughters of Swallows. So for me, discovering that my church people had discovered the blog and they had nothing negative to say about it and in fact talked about how much they enjoyed reading it, I was like, oh, we do this all the time where we keep negative voices mm-hmm. loud and center mm-hmm. and kind of project with that mm-hmm. and anticipate the worst. But I think for the most part, people have goodwill. Absolutely. And, you know, people want to learn. And we all have shared experiences. You go to church and everybody skank nasty. It's because we're just human and we enjoy a good hump once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how we got here. That's how we got to here. To a hump, whether it was good or whether not Whether it was good so or good. not so good. But hopefully... Future ones can be good. Yes. That's our goal. Like, this is part of what we're here to do. We're here to do. On the podcast. To make future humps fantastic. For women especially. For women especially. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, when we started this blog, Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women, this is like one of my greatest flex. It was the first blog of its type. Yes. We in the setters, world. Baby. Like, in the world. Okay, I don't know about the world, but at least Talking on the about continent. African women... Okay, okay, okay. All right, okay. Specifically African oh, oh, women. Okay. Not just about sex. We were sex. the first in the we world. We were the first in the whole okay, world. Okay. Name another one. No, none Nobody that. can. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot. I defy you to name a one. Anyway. <laughs> but what I loved about doing this with you is how free and open you were to do that. Because I was not in a position to do that. Because I couldn't. It wasn't envy. It wasn't jealousy. It was a wistfulness. I was like, I wish I could like do this with you and be front and center and be present and everybody to know who I was as a co-founder of the blog. But I've always admired your bravery and your fearlessness. And you're like, this is who I am. This is what I've come to say. And fuck you if you've got something else to say about it. But yeah. I've also always admired you, right? Because... You were doing this with me and we did it together. Mm -hmm. It's just whereas I had my face out there, your face wasn't out there. Mm -hmm. But people who knew you knew you were doing the blog, right? right? And the reason why I admired you, because in a sense, as far as I was concerned, it was easy for me to be public. One, I worked for a feminist organization. Two, I was divorced and I owed no one anything. Anything. (laughs) You were and still are married to a deacon. Mm -hmm. How Please does... has been promoted to pastor. Oh, <laughs> look at this. How does a pastor's wife see. co-found a blog about sex? Where we are talking about oral sex. Mm-hmm. We're talking about sex outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. We're talking about queer sex. Mm. And so for me, I always like really admired you because I didn't know what I would have done mm. if I was married and married to a pastor. A pastor. <laughs> you know? So I think it's been incredible. Yeah. And yeah, it's been great to do this with you. And it's even better to be taking this to the next level. Yes. And I have all the years ahead of me, right? Because yes. like further on in this season, we speak to older women, people mm-hmm. past their 40s, 50s, 60s about sex. Mm-hmm. And guys, whew, it only gets better. It only gets better. And this is why it's so important for us to, to do this because... Right now, the conversation is still like, oh, in your 30s, it'll be over for you. In your 30s is when life truly begins as a woman. And the sex does get better for most people, I think, but at least for all the women that we've spoken to. And there's hope. And I (laughs) I think that's what's been so terrible about the narrative is like, 
after point X, there's no more hope. There's no more joy. There's no more excitement. There's nothing to look forward to. And you will hear in this season, there's much to look forward to with sex and aging. What I would love to see in a society, a free-minded society, is that I could go to my grandma and say, Grandma, are you and grandpa having sex? And that grandma would not be like embarrassed and, and uh, shocked or, or whatever. Because it's just like part of the life. That's just a tiny appetizer of the kinds of conversations we will be having this season. Think of it as the small chops in palm wine to whet your appetite. Welcome to our bedrooms and the bedrooms of African women. Thanks to all of you who follow the blog and the new listeners. <laughs> Where have you been? We're glad that you found us and we guarantee you maximum satisfaction as you enjoy the ride. This season, we're talking orgasms. Kinks, dicks, the list is plenty. We're learning, we're loving, we're listening and pleasuring. Here's to great sex. The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is hosted by Malaika Grant and Anander Kose Chiyama. Freddie Boswell is a senior producer. Fatima Derby is our associate producer. Written by Wana Udobang. Audio editors are Mercy Barno and Tevin Sudi. Malaika Grant and Anander Kose Chiyama are executive producers. The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is a production of AQ Studios in partnership with Masi Media. Mercy Kidaga is our studio administrator and Sally Chum is the AQ Studio CEO. Follow us on all our social media. That's at AQ Studios Podcasts. Our theme music is Damn, performed by Ria Boss. Music from this episode comes from Blue Dots Sessions. Find adventures from the bedrooms of African women anywhere you get your podcasts and in the pursuit of all things sex, sexuality, and pleasure, follow us on all our social media platforms at Adventures From. Thanks for listening. with the goddess She every day.